Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for giving us the privilege and honor and the blessing of coming together and loving, Lord, you and, Lord, loving one another, of fellowshipping with you and fellowshipping with one another. And through that, we see that our joy is complete, that our joy abounds. We thank you for that, Lord. This is a safe place to be, Lord, and to, to honor you and to worship you and to exalt you and to draw closer to you. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, I decrease that you would increase empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything I say into every thought that enters my mind would be of you, not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, if you have your Bible or Bible app, turn to 1 John, not the gospel, but the epistle, John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 is, is today's text. Uh, we're now in part two of our new series, Authentic, say that, Authentic. We started this last week, and before we even dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, which was verses 1 through 4. And you might remember I gave you two points, and the first point of last week's text was the proclamation, say that. And that's in verses 1 and 2. And John begins by proclaiming the person Jesus Christ, and when he does, uh, he immediately speaks of Jesus' eternality, that Jesus always existed, and then he speaks of Jesus' humanity, the eternal one was made flesh, and then he speaks of Jesus' deity, deity that Jesus is in fact God. And you see what John does, John proclaims these three truths about Jesus. Why? To refute the Gnostics who denied that Jesus was eternal. They denied that uh, Jesus had a human nature, and they, they denied that Jesus was God. Say the proclamation. The second point was the purpose. Say that. And that's in verses 3 uh, through 4, 3 and 4. And, and we see three dimensions there. The, the horizontal dimension, that's the unique fellowship. The, the koinonia, say koinonia, which is only for those who share life in Jesus Christ together. And then the other dimension is the vertical, say that. The vertical, that's our fellowship with the Father and our fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. And the internal, say internal, Right As we have fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, internal means this, that our joy is made complete. Someone say amen to that. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is The Light. Say that. Three points. If you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Number one is this, the fact. Say that. The fact. Write that down. And we'll look at verse 5 here. Stay with me now. This is the message and John says we, say we. Why? John, this is speaking of John and the apostles, and we know that the other apostles at this time have passed away, right? But John says we, why? To establish unity of message. We all agree. That's what he's saying. We all agree. They're gone now, right? Because we know that John is, is the last living apostle, but he's saying we agree on this, to establish unity of message. So this is the message we, he says, have heard from him, speaking of Jesus Christ, and declare to you. So he's saying this, we're bringing the message to you which we heard from Jesus, and this is the message, here it is, God is what? God is, is light. In him there is no what? Darkness 
at all. And so what John is telling us, John is telling his readers and us what God is. And he's showing us God's authoritative revelation of himself. God is light. Now I want you to write these, these scriptures down. Psalm 27 verse 1a. Psalm 27 verse 1a. And it says, the psalmist writes, the Lord is my light, say light, and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Psalm 104, verse 2a. Psalm chapter 104, verse 2a says, the Lord wraps himself, love this, the Lord wraps himself in light, say light, as with a garment. Let's go back to the text, back to the text. God is light in him, there is no darkness at all. So what does this mean? Well, it means there is no sin within God. That the God that we worship, he is absolutely, completely, consistently, perfect, pure, righteous, true, holy in his being, holy in his character, in his words, deeds, actions, thoughts, and motives. You guys with me? There's no error, no untruth that proceeds from his mouth. There is never a misstatement, misinformation, falsehood, or an inaccuracy to be found on his mouth, nor in his written word. There's no fault in him. That's what John's saying. Everything, say everything, everything God says and does is perfect, pure, righteous, true, holy. Speaking of holy, speaking of holy, listen to what Isaiah says. And some of you might be familiar with this verse, Isaiah 6, verse 3. In Isaiah 6, verse 3, Isaiah writes this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is filled with what? What? Full of his glory. Now, now say holy, holy, holy. Say it. For, for that to be repeated three times means raising, listen now, raising holy to the highest degree. And so it would go like this. It would go like this. Holy, holier, holiest. Got it? Holy, holier, holiest, which means God, he's the holiest. He's the holiest. There's, there's no inconsistency or weakness in his character. He, he's pure. He's consistent. He's unblemished and is uncompromised. Listen now, in his character, he's not only holy, but he's the holiest. His holiness totally saturates his being. His holiness epitomizes his moral perfection and his absolute freedom, say freedom, from blemish of any kind. In other words, there's no darkness in the God who we worship. And therefore, listen now, therefore, knowing that, therefore, he, God, cannot look with favor on any form of sin. You guys with me? In fact, God hates sin, and he hates sin for the simple reason that what sin does, sin separates us from him. And because of the consequences that sin brings upon our lives. So let's get right into the lesson. You ready? Here's the lesson. Be holy, for he is holy. Be holy, for he is holy. And I want you to write this scripture down. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. 1 Peter 1 15 and 16, and Peter writes this, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Then he says this, verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I am 
holy. Now, is this a high standard? <laughs> yeah. You better believe it, it is. This is a high standard. But nevertheless, friends, it's the standard that God holds his people to. God demands holiness in our lives. Now, if you're safe, say amen. We must never forget, say never forget, that God's standard for our character, God's standard for our actions, God's standard for our attitudes, God's standard for our affections is to be holy, for he is holy. You see, and I want you to get this, and I want you to get this. The nature of who we are, the nature of who we are is determined by the nature of who we worship. I'm going to say it again. The nature of who we are is determined by the nature of who we worship. And if we worship the one who is holy, then we ought to exude holiness in and through our lives. Do I have, do I have a witness? I also want to say this, speaking of God's holiness. God's holiness reveals our sinfulness. Right? If we are in close fellowship, close communion with God, close to the light, we will have a heightened sense of our own sin. Got it? So the closer you draw to him, the more you are aware of your own sin. Amen? That's the fact that he is light. Say he is light. Number two is the fellowship. Say that. The fellowship. Let's look at verse six with me now. And John writes, if we claim, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, listen to what he says. I love John. He pulls no punches. We lie. We lie and do not live out truth. You guys get that? Now, now, now the word walk in the text there is a present tense verb commonly referred to as a person's moral activity. Okay, In this tense, it draws attention to a habitual, habitual lifestyle of walking in the darkness. By the way, darkness simply means ungodly living. Now, John is writing this because there was another thing about the Gnostics that he had to expose. And that is this. Since the Gnostics, since they believed that knowledge was key, it was all about knowledge for them. Okay? And since they believed that knowledge was the key to life, they believed that righteous living, righteous living was not important. You know, just live any way you want. They believe that a person may be living in sin and compromise with sin and at the same time have fellowship with God. So to them, it was all about knowledge. It didn't matter how you live as long as you have knowledge. And so what they wanted, they wanted fellowship on easy terms. They wanted fellowship on their own terms. It was all talk, no walk, no reality, all profession, all profession, but no possession, all clouds, but no rain. All they do is say, but there's no reality in their life. There's no, there's no evidence in how they live. They continue to walk in darkness. And this is what John is pointing out. This is John's point. The person who claims to have fellowship with God, listen now, and lives a lifestyle characterized by sin, practicing sin, a habitual lifestyle of sin, that person lies, John says. 
They lie. They lie in that their own lives, their own lifestyle, prove them a liar. And John's saying, hey, you're lying. You don't know God. You don't know God. Your whole life is a lie. Your life is fraudulent. Your life is deceitful. You're a counterfeit Christian. What John is saying to these people is this. You don't know God. You say you do, but you don't know God, and you need to know that you don't know him. And you see, what John is doing, I believe here, is sorting the wheat from the tares. Listen, if we claim to be children of God, listen, listen, people. If we claim to be children of God, if we claim to walk in the light, if we claim to have association with the light, and yet there is no light in us but only darkness, there's something wrong. Are, are you guys with me? There, there's something wrong. Something's not right. Listen, the unchanged Christian is a contradiction in terms. Got it? So John's just calling them out, people who say that they walk in the light, but yet they walk in darkness. Look at verse 7a with me, verse 7a, the first part of verse 7. But, say but. In other words, John pivots in a different direction now. But if we walk in the light as he, speaking of God, is in the light. I want to stop there. That's verse 7a. John now points to the true believer. Say true believer. The one who has been truly born of God. What a true believer's lifestyle is like. Now, again, the word walk is a what? We know this, right? A habitual lifestyle. And here it's a habitual lifestyle of walking in the light of God's revelation in conformity with his moral standards. In other words, in pursuit, say pursuit, in the pursuit of holiness. Now listen, and notice that John doesn't say if we say or if we claim to walk in the light. No, he says if we walk in the light, as he, God, is in the light. And this is it. The Christian life is more than what we say or what we claim, right, friends? It's, it's how we walk. We know this, right? It's how you and I live. Now, if you study the New Testament, you'll notice that walking is a common New Testament metaphor of Christian living. And Paul used this quite often in his writings. And so I want you to write these scriptures down. They're all there for you. Romans chapter 6. In Romans 6, verse 4, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul tells us, walk in the newness of life. Walk, walk, walk in the newness of life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, Paul told the believers how they ought to walk, listen now, and please God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul says this, to walk, and I love this, okay? Listen now what he says, to walk in a way worthy, say worthy, of your calling. I'm going to say it again. To walk in a way, walk in a way worthy, worthy of your calling. Say worthy. Come on. Okay. This, is, this has the idea of living a life in such a way that it measures up to something. So follow me here. Follow me here. The Greek word for worthy is axios. Say axios. It means weight or scales. Weight or scales. It means balance the scales or measure to a standard. Balance the scales or measure 
to a standard. In other words, let your life, what Paul's saying is this, let your life, let your walk weigh as much as the calling you've received. Well, what's that calling? Salvation. Say salvation. In other words, now that we're saved, now that we're saved, our life, our walk ought to measure up and be consistent with our calling. Right? If we say we're saved, our walk ought to be just like this. Got it? Paul's simply saying, if you're saved, then act like it. If you're saved, then live like it. Don't, this, don't have a wimpy walk. Have a worthy walk. What does John say? What does John say? Walk in the light as he is in the light. And I want to tell you, friends, listen now, if you are a child of the light, then you must, you must walk in the light and not in darkness. Now I want you to write these scriptures down. They're all there for you. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. And, and listen to the wording. Listen to what they write here, what Paul writes here. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. You are all children of the light. Children of the light. And children of the day. We do not belong to the night. Nor to the darkness. This is what Peter writes, 1 Peter 2, 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, right? A what? Holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of, say it, darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. You guys getting this? John chapter 8, the gospel of John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said this, and I love this. He says, I am the light of the world. And listen to what Jesus says. Whoever follows me will never, say never, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. One more, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. And Paul writes this, for you were once darkness, not in, you were once dark, you were darkness. You were once, we were once darkness. That's how bad we were. But now you are light in the Lord. God, don't you love that? Therefore live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do, say that, with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather expose them. Woo. You see, as, as, as true, real, authentic, born-again Christians, we will be characterized by a lifestyle of holiness, of purity and righteousness, not self-righteous, righteousness. And there will be evidence that we walk in the light. There will be evidence that you and I have fellowship with the light, and we will not only profess to be believers in Christ, but live like it. And the fact that we live like it doesn't gain a salvation. Actually, it reveals our salvation. Our lifestyle gives evidence of our salvation. It gives evidence that we have fellowship with God and that you and I walk in light. You ready for the lesson? Here we go. We are either in the light or in the darkness. It's either or, man. Either or, right? Either in or out. Either you're real or you're fake. 
A liar, liar, pants on fire, hanging from a telephone wire, right? Come on. You're either of the world or not of the world. You're either a professor, right, or a possessor. And this is what I love about John. I love this guy, right? I love this guy. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't sit on the fence. He sets opposites in direct contrast to one another. I mean, there's no middle ground in John's concept of Christianity. We're either in the light or in the darkness. No one, no one, say no one, no one's in the gray. No one's in the gray. It's either black or white. There's no straddling the fence, right? Okay, we're either in or out, period. And John, listen now, puts such a separation that we either are in one or the other. I mean, it's that simple, friends, right? Now, now notice, and I want you to follow me now, notice the result of walking in the light as he, God, is in the light. Verse 7b, the second part of verse 7. We have fellowship with who? Come on, with who? Say it. One another. And the reason why you and I have fellowship with one another is because we have fellowship with God, the light. That's the result. That's the condition of walking in the light. Now, follow me here. When we're walking in the light, we love what God loves. Right? We value what he values. Everything, say everything, we do and say is grounded in his nature. My life, your life, our life is going to be marked by holiness. There's a deep desire to live for God. Our interest is in the things God is interested in. It's, it's living a life hating the things God hates and loving the things God loves. So when we're walking in the light, listen now, we're not only having fellowship with God, but with other believers, right? We know that, right? There's communion. There's communion. Communion. We're, we're walking together in the Lord. There's common ground. There's participation and partnership. We have the same desires for God. And as we're having fellowship together, remember this, Horizontal fellowship depends on vertical fellowship. Remember that? And when the, when the horizontal is, is connected to the, right? Horizontal is connected to the vertical, friends. It's awesome. It's awesome. It gives evidence that we are walking in the light. Also notice, I want you want us to notice that walking in the light not only results in fellowship with God and fellowship with one another, but it also results in, look at the, la the last verse 7c, the end of verse 7. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us, us true believers, us true believers from all sin. Huh? I mean, that's good news. I mean, you ought to shout because that, that's, that's good news. Amen? Because the Christian is in the light, okay, are you guys with me now? The Christian knows that Christ shed blood on the cross will continue to cleanse them from all sin. Whatever the sin. Whatever the sin, Christ will cleanse. He'll cleanse it and take away the guilt. That's good news. Now, this doesn't happen to the counterfeit Christian. That, that's, that's John's point, okay? The person, this person, this person, the, the counterfeit Christian is still living in sin, still practicing a lifestyle of sin. This purifying of all sin only happens to the true, genuine, authentic believer. Purifies us from all sin. The word all, say all, refers to every sin as well as every kind of sin. 
I also want to point out that the blood of Christ does more than forgive us. It erases the stain. The word purify means that, right? Purifies us. It cleanses, it cleans us, erases the stain, right, the sin away from our lives. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? And I love this one. There's no, there's no sin greater than the blood of Christ. There is no sin greater than the blood of Christ. I mean, if you're a believer, you ought to thank God for that, and you ought to be excited about that. Right? I mean, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Yeah, there is a, we, we, we sin much, but our Savior is much greater than that. Amen? Now, if you're saved, say amen. Now, I want you to get this now. Stay with me now. We're saved. You're saved. Say amen. Come on. We're saved, but we still have a sin nature. Got it? And that old sin nature still hangs around, doesn't it? And we cannot, what John's saying, we cannot deny that. And to deny that means self-deception, and it reveals that we, that the truth is not in us, which means right to verse 8. Look at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, in other words, no conviction of sin, no guilty conscience, you know, living in complete denial of sin, John says, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. John's saying to deny the existence of sin is pure self-deception. To deny that one has no sin is to, is to deny one's need for a Savior. One does not have the truth of Christ in him or her. So as Christians, what do we do, listen now, what do we do when we commit sin or fall into some sinful habit? Well, the proper attitude is not to deny it, right? Don't deny it, but admit it, confess it, right? Confess it to receive forgiveness which God has made possible for us, which brings us right into the third and final point is the forgiveness. The fact, the fellowship, the forgiveness. Now, before we even move forward, I want to say this. Before we even get into the next verse, I need to say this. If we are true, genuine, authentic Christians who walk in the light, if we are, then we will come under the conviction of our sins. We will confess our sins to God on an ongoing and continual basis. Listen now, friends, in our Christian life. We will have a sensitivity towards sin in our lives. Now listen, if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and he should if you're saved, right? I mean, right? If the Holy Spirit dwells in us, then it, it will bring, the Holy Spirit, he will bring painful conviction when you and I sin. And that's why he's called the Holy Spirit. Because listen now, when we introduce or invite something unholy into our lives, he lets us know about it. Alarm goes off. Uh-uh. That's unholy because he's the Holy Spirit. Now, as Christians, we will still sin. But we just can't enjoy it. And if you enjoy it, something's wrong. 
You guys with me? There comes to a point where we have to confess our sins to God. And listen, one of, one of the genuine marks of a Christian is confessing sin to God. One of the genu- uh, genuine, real, authentic, genuine, real, authentic Christians are lifelong confessors and lifelong repenters of sin. Yeah? Now, you might say, well, you know, Pastor Arnold, as a Christian, I mean, do I really have to continue to confess my sins to God? I mean, I thought he forgave me all of my sins when I got saved. Well, here's the answer to that. God forgave you eternally slash judicially. Eternally, judicially. All of your sins. Positionally, say positionally, that has been settled. If you got it, say got it. But practically, say practically. In other words, in your daily ongoing relationship with God, you must confess your sin to him or there will be a loss of joy, a loss of spiritual power, a loss of zeal for him. It will hinder your fellowship. It will hinder your communion with him. If you got it, say got it. Verse 9, stay with me now. If we confess our sins, I want to stop there. If we confess our sins, in the Greek the word confess is homologeo. Say that, homologeo. It means to stay, to, excuse me, to say the same thing as another. In other words, to agree with. That's what it means, to agree with. So when we, you and I, when we confess our sins, we're agreeing with God's assessment of what you and I, what we did. We're agreeing with God that our sin is sin. And it means that we're accepting responsibility, I love that, responsibility for it, and we will turn from it. You see, true confession begins with acknowledging that God is God, that we have, listen now, knowingly, knowingly violated his word, knowingly violated his standard. You're safe, say amen. If we're walking, walking in the light, we're not going, we're not going to deny our sin or blame others for it, because we're real good at that at times, or try to hide it, We're going to confess it, take full responsibility for it, and forsake it. You see, confession isn't just admitting that we've sinned. It's agreeing with God. Agreeing with God that we have sinned because confession, not denial, not denial, confession is the answer to our sin problem. And I want to say this and get this. Confessing our sins is specific and particular, not general. You guys with me? In other words, it involves consciously calling to mind each sinful deed. One by one, admitting, agreeing with God that it was wrong, agreeing with God that our actions were wrong, that our actions were sinful, and we agree we need to change our actions and then forsaking the sin. You see, the issue here is not do we sin? Because we know we sin. We have a sin nature. The issue here is are we current with God? Are we current with God in confessing our sins to Him? The issue here is not that others are confessing their sins. The issue is, am I? Am I? Because we're real good at, oh, you, you need to confess your sins. You need to confess your sins. Ah, what about me? That I, am I confessing my sins? 
And by the way, let me say this. If you are truly saved, you will never prosper with hidden sin in your life. Never prosper with hidden sin in your life. Proverbs 28, 13, write that down. And we covered this in our series in the book of Proverbs, Wisdom That Works, right? Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. Point blank. But, he says this, the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Amen? So we confess our sins. Listen now, uh, agree with God that our sin is sin. If, if we do our part, and we should, right? Notice what happens. God does his part. Let's read the rest of the verse. He, God, is faithful and just, slash righteous, and will, say will, forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Notice that this verse tells us that God's forgiveness rests in two of his attributes, faithfulness and justice, or faithfulness, justice, slash righteousness. He is faithful. Say he is faithful. And what that means is we can count on him to do this. He will do what he says he will do. He's reliable. This means, this means that God will always, say always, always forgive us every time we come to him and confess our sins to him. In other words, God keeps his word. He's not wishy-washy. It's not like, you know, okay, one day I'll forgive you, the next day I'm not sure if I will. You know, it's not like that. He will never give up on us. Huh? He's just. Say he's just. He, he's not disabled. He's just. In other words, he is legally, ethically right. Legally, ethically righteous. Therefore, we can trust him to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. And John's saying, hey, God is faithful. And God is just. God is righteous. And he will always, because he's God, he will always act according to his character. He will always, listen now, be consistent in his character. I want you to, let's go back to the text again. Let's look at the text again. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all, say all, unrighteousness. One thing that I've learned about the Lord and his word and about forgiveness is that God forgives us instantly, completely, and repeatedly. <laughs> right? He even forgives, listen now, he even forgives the sins we might think are impossible to forgive. And guess what? Once he forgives our sin, listen, this is good news. He'll never bring it up again. He'll never throw it in our face. He'll never hold it against us. Someone ought to applaud and praise him for that. <laughs> Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity, their sins, right? And their sin, I will remember no mas, no more. We're forgiven, it's forgotten, we are clean. Psalm 51, verse 7, David's writing this. And he says, 
Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And I want to say this. Even when we, we are slow to confess, and we are at times, and we know we sin, we, we don't stop and confess it sometimes. We just kind of just like let it linger for a while. Even though you and I are slow to confess, God is always quick to forgive. It's not like, you know, you, you know, I know, man, I know, I know I blew it, I know I blew it, I need to confess it, and you wait and you wait and you finally say, Lord, Lord, I confess my sin. And God's not like, oh, you know what, you waited too long. I was waiting for you. You waited too long. I don't know if I'm going to forgive you or not. No. Once you ask him, you confess it, right? Genuine confession. Boom. Done deal. Amen? Because God, that's who he is. That's his character. Now listen, I want you to get this. Our fellowship, our communion with God, communion with God requires that you and I confess our sins to him and forsake them so that our fellowship, our communion, get this out, our communion with him will not be hindered. Not broken, not hindered. You see, and I want you to follow me now. Unconfessed sin, say that, hinders our fellowship, our communion with God. Not our sonship, not our union, but our communion and fellowship with Him. Right? Got it? So here's the lesson. Confession of sin restores our fellowship with God. Amen? Confession of sin restores our fellowship with who? God. Okay, this is, this is, this is the way it is. You know you've been sinning, and, and you know you've got to get it right. Well, I'll tell you why, because there's no joy. Sin has put a barrier in your fellowship with God. Are you guys with me? And so what confession does is, because I know, I know, and we know this, friends. We know that when we are lingering in our sin, there's no joy. There's no power. There's no spiritual power in our lives. We, we don't have any zeal for him. There's no connectedness. But let, let's be, hey, we've all experienced this, right? This is awesome. But once we confess our sin, what happens? It restores our joy. Doesn't it? Their spiritual power, our zeal for him is there. It restores our connectedness to him. Now I want you to get this. And you see, get this. The only threat to our fellowship, the only threat to our communion with God is sin. Right? So let's not deny it. Let's not deny our sin Okay, let's not lie about it. Let's not try to conceal it or cover it up. Let's confess it and forsake it and enjoy amazing unhindered fellowship and communion with God. Isn't it awesome when you know that you've come before him, you've confessed your sins. There's just, I mean, you know, hey, I'm clean today. Okay? And once you do that, there's just some, there's just unhindered fellowship with him. I mean, you hear him clearly, Right? You love him openly. I mean, there's just so many wonderful benefits we get when we come to him with a clean heart. Verse 10, you guys ready? 
Verse 10, here we go. If we claim we have not sinned, well, we know that sin is a violation, any violation of the holiness of God, right? If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, speaking of God, out to be a liar. I want to stop there. To deny that we have sinned, to, to deny acts of sin is calling God a liar. Th- that God has forged a lie to say that we, that you and I have sinned. Well, God's not a liar. God's a truth teller, right? He's a truth teller. God is light. I mean, John established that. God is what? Light. There is no error, no untruth, no falsehood that proceeds from his mouth. What God says is true, right? And he says, God says that we have sin, and his word, which is a standard which we are measured, says that we have sin. In fact, you know what? Romans 3.23 says, for some, no, for all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's finish reading the rest of the verse. And we'll close, we'll close here soon. And his word is not in us. Let's, let's read the whole verse together. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, speaking to God, out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So this gives clear evidence that this is an unbeliever right here. This one. One who's not been, this is one who is ungenerated, an ungenerated person. One who has never by faith believed the word of God and received it into their life. They're, 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 they're oblivious to their spiritual state of being spiritually dead in their sins before God. So John's pointing out, this person right here, uh-uh. Not a believer. Not a true believer. And you notice that as, we, as, as you look at the progression there, that John talks about, you know, God is light, then about those who are really not believers and those who are believers, right? And then back to those who are not believers. Listen, no one, say no one, has ever been saved without being convicted of their sin. Right? I mean, the first step of being saved is you must admit that you are a sinner. And so to say that, you know what, I have no sin. I've never sinned. This one guy who was married told this other man, I have not sinned. He said, let me ask your wife. There you go. Okay? All have sinned. Amen? So all that's been said, you know, John is very practical to the point And he wants you and I as believers to be sure that we're saved. He wants us to to make sure that we're authentic. Right? That, That we're not counterfeit Christians. That we're not living like these Gnostics that claim to have knowledge in Christ but live like the world. So all that's been said, let me ask you this. Are you walking in the light? Think about that. I mean, are you walking in the light? You can't just claim or say that you're walking in the light. Anyone can say or claim that. Right? Anyone can say or claim that. There must be evidence. There must be proof that you and I are walking in the light.
So question, is there? Is there evidence? Is there proof that you and I are walking in the light? Let's all stand as we close.